0: You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Hi everyone. Here at church, we believe the Bible is God's word to his people. That means when we read it, We are hearing God speak. Today's Bible passages are from Exodus chapter 13, verses 1 to 10, and Luke chapter 22, verses 14 to 23. Please have your Bibles open as we hear God speak. The Lord spoke to Moses, Consecrate every firstborn male to me, the firstborn from every womb, among the Israelites, both man and the domestic animal, it is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day when you come out of Egypt, out of the place of slavery, for the Lord brought you out of here by the strength of his hand. Nothing leavened may be eaten. Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers that he would give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you must carry out this ceremony in this mouth. For seven days you must eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there is to be a festival to the Lord. Unleavened bread is not is to be eaten for those seven days. Nothing leavened may be found among you, and no yeast may be found among you, in all your territory. On that day, explain to your son, this is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Let it serve as a sign for you on your hand as you remember on your forehead, as a reminder on your forehead, so that the Lord's instruction may be in your mouth. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with a strong hand. Keep this statute as it's appointed time from year to year. Luke 22, verse 14. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them, and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But look, the hand of the one betraying me is at the table with me. For the Son of Man will go away, as it has been determined. But woe to the man! by whom he is betrayed. So they began to argue among themselves which of them it could be who is going to do it.
1: Let me pray. Now, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would still our thoughts and still our hearts so that we would find space for you to speak and to change us from the inside out. We praise you for this wonderful sight and this weekend and our brothers and sisters with whom we can share it. Please may these lessons take deep root, not just in our individual heart, but also in the life of this congregation. Now please do these things not for our sake, but for your glory's sake. In Christ's name. Amen. So I am a frequent gym user. Of course, it all depends on your definition of frequent. But my physio works out of a gym. So I figure that every time I see my physio, I'm really going to the gym, right? That's the way I see it anyway. I've learned some basic lessons about gym going. This is it. Once is not enough in fact you need to go more than once and probably as well to use multiple apparatuses do things there that you didn't do last week working on your legs or working on your butt or whatever it might be once is not enough we need to use multiple apparatuses and people are really serious i can't believe it about going to the gym did you ever, have you ever watched that show, Australian Ninja Warrior? Which I actually really love watching it, partly because I think if I were on it, I'd win it. I'd... <laughs> but apart, that, aside, that aside, there's a guy on uh, who's appeared a few times on Australian Ninja Warrior who has trained all year. He's built a Mount Midoriyama in his field and he just works out on it every day. I think, well, what is that about? But at least he's understood this point, that... Uh, in training for something like that, we get strength through repetition. You don't grow strong without repeating exercises or physical challenges. Strength through repetition. Or it could be like this Imagine you know the summer ahead is going to be hot and long. So you decide, look, I'm going to drink four gallons of water today and I'm going to drink nothing else for the rest of the summer. It's madness, right? To survive a hot summer, you need to drink a little bit regularly. That's kind of how you keep your body healthy. Not just one big gulp, but small drafts. Time and time and time again. So it is with our Sunday worship. The point is not that we should be doing something new, but we should be doing something repetitively, again and again and again. People complain: "Sunday worship is so boring. We just do the same thing every time." So that's actually the whole point: that we get strong through repetition. And our Christian character, our godliness, is a bundle of habits that we need to keep practising and practising and practising. You can't just say, I repented of that sin 10 years ago. I'm done now. I want you to learn how to train not so much your physical muscles but to train your spiritual muscles and all of them, not just one of them. Paul in 1 Timothy 4.7 reminds us that we need to train ourselves for godliness. Physical training has some value, but training ourselves for godliness has value now and forever. We need to repeat things to grow strong. That's a basic principle of life and it applies to to church as well, because worship is a gym. This is embedded in the Bible storyline, almost from the first page to the last. In Exodus 13, that's been read for us, uh, the people are preparing to meet the Lord on the mountain and uh, heading towards their worship in the promised land and in exodus 13:3 moses says remember this day in which you came out from egypt out of the house of slavery for by a strong hand the lord brought you out from this place how could they forget that they've just escaped pharaoh's grasp how could, they, how could they forget that awful labour that they had to perform in Egypt? As if they could forget, yet Moses is saying, you must remember. And of course, that principle recurs in the scriptures. The people of God are told frequently to remember, in fact, In 2 Peter, he's continually reminding them of things they already knew. That's not Peter being a dumb teacher. That's Peter being an excellent teacher. We're prone to forget. We need prompts to remember. And indeed, in Exodus 13, Moses explains that they need to keep the Passover every year. The Passover has been described in Exodus chapter 12 and in Exodus chapter 13, Moses is explaining that they need to do this every year in this month. Verses 5 to 10. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Every year in that month, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. So it's every year repeated over seven days. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, so every year when that day recurs you shall tell your son, it's because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. The same kind of point recurs in verses 11 to 16. Now not so much about the Passover as the consecration of the firstborn. In Deuteronomy 6, parents are to teach their kids every year at the Passover what the Passover means. We were slaves in Egypt. Parents remind their children. Repetition, reminder, is essential to spiritual health. Imagine saying, look, I want to learn English but I don't want to have to ever repeat phrases and learn them by heart. Or imagine a soldier saying, look, I want to be a great warrior but do I have to get up for drill again this morning? Or imagine an athlete saying, I want to be fast but I trained last week, do I have to train again this week? Or imagine a musician saying, I want to learn the piano, but I don't want to learn scales. Or imagine an actor saying, I want to appear in movies, but really, do I have to rehearse my lines? Imagine a father or mother thinking, I'll only say this to you once, my child, you must say please, you must say thank you. Now, parents know that you've got to do it a thousand times, you've got to... Help your kids repeat, repeat, repeat because it doesn't come naturally to say please or to say thank you. Or imagine a husband or wife saying, I made a decision to serve you on my wedding day, but I'm never going to make that statement again. Some Christians see repetition as the enemy of true spirituality. That if you repeat something... That must mean you're an inferior Christian because true spirituality is spontaneity and only by being spontaneous are we being authentic. Actually, the true enemy of spirituality is not repetition. The enemy is forgetfulness. The principle is once is not enough. And traditionally, church services have repeated practices week after week after week. Except about 200 years ago, uh, Christians started thinking of a new pattern for Sunday services. They realised that you could have big events where lots of people became Christians in in a tent or revivals uh, in the countryside with big personalities, big celebrities preaching. And so some Christians started saying, well, perhaps we should do less of repetition in church and just make church a big event. That's called a revivalist model. church services where you do nothing in repeat or very little in repeat it's all about getting the celebrity preacher come and encourage you in your discipleship but actually I think that produces immature Christians who aren't learning basic spiritual disciplines we need to get an all-round body workout. In church, you're not just coming to have one spiritual muscle stretched. In church, we have all our spiritual muscles stretched. A revivalist style church services really just stretches your capacity to make a big decision for the Lord. And they do that quite well, but so many other of our spiritual Practices, our spiritual muscles are unaddressed. To get an all round uh, workout, we need to pray each week and hear the Bible read and explained each week and sing each week and confess our sins each week and to take communion, if not weekly, at least regularly. We need to develop spiritual muscle memory. We do something often enough that it kind of just becomes part of us? Like Tiger Tiger Woods' golf swing. He's practised so often that what for him seems so natural for me would be just an extraordinarily unreachable challenge. Or riding a bike. We need to learn how to do it and keep practicing it to stay upright we do things with our bodies to internalize and make them so natural for us which is the whole point of a church service i remember years ago praying with a fellow who's who was dying and he had no affect in his face I said, Bill, how about we say the Lord's Prayer together? And his eyes opened. And in the old King James Version, he prayed with me the Lord's Prayer. And then all affect was lost from his face again. But the Lord's Prayer was so deeply embedded in his soul that I could start the words and his face lit up. This was so part of his soul that he could, in his dying hours, recommit himself to the Lord. Worship is like a gym. Repetition is actually good for us. And it's repetition which uses our bodies, which is even better. Did you notice that in Exodus 13, as it was read, there are instructions to repeat things, but almost more importantly, these repetitions involved all their bodily senses. They would taste the unleavened bread. They would probably smell the cooking, touch the food, hear or speak the words. Children are asking questions that their parents might give explanations to. The instructions for repetition in Exodus 13, or in the Passover generally, involve lots of bodily senses. It's not repetition for repetition's sake, but repetition with explanation, playing out a story and all of my body being involved. With that story, these are repetitions with actions involving our bodies, too. Worship's the gym, so we can use our bodies to develop spiritual muscles. What we do with our body reinforces things we're thinking in our mind or saying with our lips. In worship, we put our bodies on the line. We speak about this, don't we, when we describe what police or firefighters have done. They put their bodies on the line to protect people. What we do with our bodies can have massive symbolic or powerful implications. Some years ago, President Obama visited the Japanese emperor, Hirohito, and President Obama bowed. Not a kind of a a, a bow that was dramatic, but a, a small one tilting his upper body. But do you think the American press reacted strongly because here was an American president putting someone else's authority above his own. Just a small tilt of the body had enormous symbolic and practical implications. What we do with our body can mean a lot. About 300 years ago in, in Britain and in North America there was a great awakening where people would preach in fields or from big rocks as well as in churches, uh, seeing hundreds and hundreds of people converted around them. But one of the most surprising things about the Great Awakening was how people used their bodies. So often in those moments of preaching, people sitting in the pews or standing out of doors would shout out, Would bark like dogs, would groan or would throw themselves on the floor and twist and turn. These were extraordinary sights. Now, why they were doing it psychologically, that's perhaps for another day. But what's important is that they were hearing the word preached, and the word being preached was so powerful. Their bodies, were part of what they were giving to the Lord in response. In their world, human beings' bodies and minds had been separated. People, People's rationality was prized above everything else. But here was a preacher preaching to you, your heart and your head and your will, preaching such that all of you, could find a response to the Lord. And these weird noises were part of the way people owned the preacher's sermon. Now, I'm not expecting many this morning to be barking or groaning or contorting, thrashing around on the floor. But it's a little sign that sometimes people find it helpful to express with their bodies the things that they're committed to in their soul. Some Christians might raise their hands in singing or kneel to pray. And indeed in the Psalms we hear the psalmist uh, encouraging people to lift their hands, bow down, kneel, kiss or shout out. Repetition is one thing and I think it's actually quite important to learn things and to inscribe things in our heart, but we can repeat things, not just with our lips, but with our bodies too. It's no accident that when Jesus is preparing for his own death the night before he died, he performed a Passover meal, the Passover which expected people to repeat things. That was how it had been expressed or explained in the Old Testament. But Jesus does something very weird. When Jesus does that Last Supper, he goes off script. He leaves the Old Testament instructions, the Old Testament words behind, and he rewords the script for the passover he puts his body at the center of what the passover taught so if you look with me at luke 22 luke twenty-two fourteen, 14 when the hour had come he reclined at table and the apostles with him He said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat of it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the wine until the kingdom of God comes. All that is language that Jesus is adding to the script. But that first cup is not the cup we recognise today in the Lord's Supper. Or we read in verse 19, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He inserts his own body into the Passover text, into the Passover script. This is my body, he says, holding out the bread, do this, do this in remembrance of me. He doesn't just say remember, he says do this in remembrance. We've got a a job to do, we've got an action to perform. Do this with your body in remembrance of me. Or verse 20, and likewise the cup, after they'd eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. That wasn't in the Exodus 12, Exodus 13 script. Jesus is is adding text and that added words point to his body and ask us to do something with our body, to eat and to drink, to do this. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it's been determined. But woe that man by whom he's betrayed! And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. Not only does Jesus insert language about his body and our bodies into the script; he's drawing down different Old Testament verses he's adding to the basic idea from exodus and he's drawing on for example uh, exodus 24 when a new covenant or a covenant is made with blood and here jesus speaks about this new covenant in his blood he's adding some words from exodus 24 or if you look at the matthew 26 version of the lord's supper this is these words are added for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. For you and for many, probably quoting from Isaiah fifty three. Jesus is giving us a new teaching and a new expectation of being trained. Repetition that involves our bodies. Now, of course, the Lord's Supper, as Jesus explains it here, is him teaching us about his death on the next day. Jesus is interpreting his death. He doesn't leave it to chance. He wants you to know what his death is about. It's for forgiveness for you and for many. It's a teaching opportunity, but it's also Jesus teaching us or training us in christian maturity we use our bodies to show their connection to jesus body we're putting our bodies on the line for him because he put his body on the line for us and in doing that we're expressing our physical unity our unity together we're all in this together in the lord's supper we celebrate our deep unity with the lord and with each other too. And we do it repeatedly. It's a way that the Lord trains us to be his people. We're not just observing God for a distance. We're putting our bodies on the line week by week for him in any number of things we do in church together bodies are really important for christians we should be the experts those who most value bodies i was once in a train in germany and in those days trains had little compartments where there were six seats with a long corridor and i'm sitting there and there's only one other guy in the in the compartment I've been visiting friends and they gave me this whole lot of cake. So I shared, I offered the guy in the, in the compartment a piece of cake and we got to talking. He discovered that I was a Christian and I discovered that he was a, phys- a physical therapist. It... <laughs> I don't know why that's funny, but that's kind of cool. I don't mind you laughing. <laughs> he said, this is, my, this is my difficulty with Christians. You are anti-body. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, Christians are anti-body. They, they don't value bodies. They're against the body. All they're concerned about is going to heaven. I wondered, because he was a, a kind of a, a German and often have been catechised or been to Sunday school, I said, Do you ever learn the creeds? And he said he had once upon a time when he'd gone to church. It's just that in the creeds, for example, Christians have said every week for thousands of years that we believe in the resurrection of the body. It was really unfair of him to accuse Christians of being anti-body. That's kind of what we believe in, right? We believe that Jesus didn't want to escape his body, but after his death he came back to his body and has taken his body with him to glory. Of course we use our bodies every day to serve those around us, but we can use our bodies in church as well as a way of practising what we believe, putting our bodies on the line for that which we've come to understand. Of course in Romans 12 we need to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice the kind of worship word that applies to every day. But I hope you can see as well that we can use our bodies in church too to practice, to develop spiritual muscle memory. So what's the cash value you're saying to me? Why, Reese, do I need to think about worship as a spiritual gym? Well, there's a couple of really concrete implications. If going to the gym, the spiritual gym, which is church, is so uh, exhausting, we need to make sure that we get good sleep the night before. That is, at the gym, when we're putting our bodies on the line for the Lord, when we're serving Him and our neighbour... We need to have energy to do that. When I was first a Christian, I was expected to go to church twice every Sunday. And now people think if you go to church once a month, you're a super Christian. Of course, you can't grow in the Lord unless you repeatedly practice worshipping. And if we see worship as a gym, even in the dry seasons of your Christian life, the patterns and the structures that you've learnt at church will keep you going. In the crises of life, something predictable is reassuring. Having learned some regular practices in church you will find that those crises are just a little less destabilizing. And repetition in worship is healthy because it's based not on the personality of our pastor, but predictable patterns that have nothing to do with our pastor's gifts or personality. A friend of mine was in a church where there was a lot of conflict and the minister was... At the heart of those conflictual relationships so she found listening to the pastor preach really difficult because his voice his personality which which emerged in the sermon provoked her to think about the conflicts that she and he were part of but she said it was really interesting when he came to the lord's table when he came to lead the lord's supper all that kind of angst towards him fell away because He was using words that were predictable and they weren't his words. And she found herself able to go to the table and not see him as the cause of conflict in the church. There was something reassuring about the predictability of what they did together. And repetition in church generally, but at the Lord's Supper in particular, is good for us as individuals because it's training us to be a community, Because in the Lord's Supper, we have to learn to wait for each other. We have to learn to do something together. We pray with the same words and we receive the same bread or the same wine from the same Lord by the same Spirit. Bottom line, repetition in church, seeing worship as a gym, strengthens us for resistance to the world. It strengthens us for resistance to the world. When the world tries to shape us according to its pattern, we've learned here a different way of thinking about communities and bodies and our daily discipleship. Yes, worship is a compass Worship's a throne room, but worship is also a gym. We come to worship to get an all-round spiritual workout. We come to worship to exercise not one but several spiritual muscles such that our mind and our heart and our body and our soul and our relationships are all stretched and toned. So to practice worship as a gym, what I'm going to ask us to do is turn in our booklets to Psalm 136, which is printed for you. What I'm going to ask you to do, if you feel comfortable, having stood up, to put your arms around the shoulders of the persons next to you. So we're doing this in solidarity And I'm going to lead us through Psalm 136. And you, as soldiers of the Lord, are going to respond with the refrain in that psalm. So let's stand up and do our daily drill. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders, who by his understanding made the heavens, who spread out the earth upon the waters, who made the great lights, the sun to govern the day, the moon and the stars to govern the night, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, And brought Israel out from among them with a mighty hand and outstretched arm to him who divided the Red Sea asunder and brought Israel through the midst of it, but swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea to him who led his people through the wilderness to him who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings Sion king of the Amorites and Og king of Bashan and gave their land as an inheritance an inheritance to his servant Israel he remembered us in our lowest state and freed us from our enemies. Love endures forever. He gives food to every creature. Love Give thanks to the God of heaven. Love endures forever. Amen.